The PBS NewsHour podcast is supported in part by Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. What if we could block a protein to stop runaway cell division? Dana-Farber Cancer Institute laid the foundation for CDK4-6 inhibitors, drugs designed to treat many advanced breast cancers. Learn more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. Congressman George Santos's ouster marks an end to 11 turbulent months in the House of Representatives. On that and the race for president heating up, we turn now to the analysis of Brooks and Capehart. That is New York Times columnist David Brooks and Jonathan Capehart, associate editor for The Washington Post. Good to see you both. Good to you, Anna. So let's begin where Lisa's reporting left off there on Congressman Santos. David, what do you make of how this process played out and the fact that he was eventually ousted from his job? He richly deserved it, and yet I'm sad. Why is that? <laughs> no, I don't know. Somehow he's such a character. Like, he's such a ridiculous character. Somehow only 19th century names come to me. Like, he's a mountebank, uh, a bounder. Like, all these words that you get from Trollop novels. He's like one of those characters. Um, and so he's a, he's a unique star that swept across our sky. Um, and the only thing, like, what was he thinking? <laughs> that has never been answered. The only explanation I've ever heard was he assumed he'd lose, so nobody would check into the way he spent the campaign money, mm. and nobody. He, but and he ended up winning, and now his life is in turmoil, and he's left us with a little stain. Jonathan, will you miss him? <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to miss him primarily because he shouldn't have been there in the first place. You know, this is a guy who ran for office, whose life life story was literally unbelievable as we discovered after he was elected. Uh, and after he was elected, we discovered that, uh, according to someone down in Brazil, where he used to live, um, this person claimed, and George Santos denied it, that he was a drag performer in, in Brazil, going by the name of Katara Ravash. So there is a very popular um, show on television called RuPaul's Drag Race. It's about almost 20 years old. And there is a competition where the drag queens, they, I, the, Two remaining drag queens after these competitions, they have to lip sync for their life. Mm -hmm. um, finally, finally, Congress and the, and the Republicans asked Mr. Santos to sashay away. <laughs> wow. I gotta say, I did not anticipate RuPaul coming up in this conversation. <laughs> 10 points to Jonathan. Not a good week for, for Mr. Santos, but Nikki Haley. It was having a really good week. Now let's talk about her for a moment in the 2024 race. She received this coveted endorsement from a group that's financed by the Koch brothers. She's seeing a steady rise in some of the early state polling. And she's really pitching herself, David, as an alternative to former President Trump. Here, in fact, is just part of her latest ad. It's time for a new generation of conservative leadership. We have to leave behind the chaos and drama of the past and strengthen our country, our pride, and our purpose. David, what do you make of Haley's recent rise? Well, she's good. She's just a good politician. If you watch her campaign, and it's always best early in the campaign season, just see who, like, like watching pitchers, who, who knows how to throw a ball at baseball. Mm -hmm. She's just good at it. Um, she gives a good speech. She's strong when she needs to be. She's focusing when she needs to be. She does good retail politics. So that still matters. Uh, and her rise has not been like a blip. It's been a long, slow, steady rise. So it's real. Uh, and the Coke thing was interesting that, that they would endorse because, or that he's pledge to support her mm -hmm. because her foreign policy is not their foreign policy. They're much, she's much more hawkish than they are on things like Ukraine. Uh, and so she, um, even though in the ad she says she's a new generation, she really represents the older generation of Republicans, which was hawkish abroad and somewhat uh, 
not, not as populist, not as anti-immigrant as the Trump Republican Party has turned out to be. So I'll be curious to see if, if she can narrow that slim lead that Trump has of nearly only 30 points yeah, in a, Iowa and New Hampshire. So. Which Jonathan brings me to you. It, it's not close at this point. Right. She is rising, but he still has a formidable lead. How do you look at this? Well, yeah, she's rising vis-a-vis DeSantis. That's how she's rising. But when it comes to Donald Trump, she's not, ri she's not rising. Donald Trump's lead is yawning, if, if you really want to like, describe it that way. Um, I, the thing about Nikki Haley, and I, I agree with you, you know, I don't agree with her on a whole lot of things, but I do agree that her rise has been steady, and she's been focused and determined in a way that folks thought you, they would say that about, about Ron DeSantis. But here's, here's my issue with anyone in that race who isn't Donald Trump. And Robert Kagan gets, in, gets at it in this fantastic op-ed essay he does for the Washington Post where he's saying that Trump dictatorship, he, the headline says, is, is inevitable. And one of the things he says is that right now you have people saying they want to take down Trump. The Kochs have endorsed Nikki Haley. But once it becomes clear, if Donald Trump sews up the nomination, watch all of these people circle the wagons and do everything they can to get him elected. And so I'm happy for her rise. It, it would be great if she could knock out Donald Trump, but I, I, I don't see what's gained from my perspective by either her doing that or him becoming the nominee. Well, as you mentioned, her rise also highlights how far Governor DeSantis's campaign has fallen off. He took the stage last night in Georgia to debate California Governor Gavin Newsom, who is not running for president, but here's just part of that debate as it played out last night. He has no business running for president. And, you know, Gavin Newsom agrees with that. He won't say that. But that's why he's running his shadow campaign. But there's one thing in closing that we have in common is neither of us will be the nominee for our party in 2024. So we should clarify, Governor DeSantis there was talking about President Biden at the top of that soundbite. That was, of course, aired on Fox, hosted by primetime host Sean Hannity. David, one of those men is running for president, one is not. Why would each of them participate in this debate? Because they're politicians, there are TV cameras there. <laughs> <laughs> you don't really need to go any deeper. That's, that's a pretty good explanation. Uh, and I think, they, I think they would like to conceive of themselves as the leaders of two different governing models. Mm. And so the California model is obviously a progressive model. The Florida model is, is way more conservative. And I think they both see the other state as mismanaged, misgoverned. Uh, and they both have a strong case to be made. Uh, I think, the, and so I was hoping we'd get some sort of debate between the red and blue model. And the red model, the Florida people are actually flee, running to go to Florida and people are running to go away from California. So it'd be an interesting debate to see why my model is better than your model. That's not the Tony debate we ended up getting. It just turned out to be more annoying interruptions, mostly. Do you think that it helped Mr. DeSantis in any way? No, I don't think so. No? I, I, you know, his, his pattern has been so long-standing. As I said, Nikki Haley is actually good at this. Ron DeSantis has some skills as a campaigner, but he's not good as, at, as being a politician. Jonathan, when you look at this, it, is this effectively a shadow campaign Governor Newsom is running here? No, no, um, no, <laughs> no. And you know, this this whole the premise of, of this question, and I'm not picking on you because yeah. a lot of people are saying this. Governor Newsom is not running for president. He is not running a shadow presidency or a shadow candidacy. He is not doing that. But what Gavin Newsom is doing is what he has been doing for at least two years, which is taking the fight directly to Republicans. This guy has been watching Fox News regularly for years now. 
And he just got tired of having Democrats be on the back foot when they've got policies, when they've got accomplishments that they should be fighting for. So this isn't the first time that DeSantis and Newsom have gone head to head. Remember, Governor Newsom bought billboards in Florida telling people, hey, they're banning your books and say, don't say, hey, come to California where we will welcome you with open arms. I would say when you say that Nikki Haley is very good at this, Nikki Haley is so good that at no point would she ever decide to debate someone who isn't even running for president. I think this was, Gavin Newsom had nothing to lose, everything to gain, and, and he doesn't need the stature boost. I think he did it for fun. Governor DeSantis did it, I think, as a Hail Mary pass to save a campaign that is just inexorably sliding into irrelevance. Do you think that Governor Newsom's appearance, though, helped the campaign of President Biden in any way? I do, because when you, and I watched the debate, Every, almost every, in every sentence, it was Biden Harris, Biden Harris, Biden Harris, President Harris, Vice uh, President Biden, Vice President Harris. He made it clear in his answers, this is not about me. I am not running. This is about the president, the current president, and the current vice president, and why they deserve a second term. Before we go, I want to get each of you to offer your takes on two incredible losses we featured on the program this week, both for the, the impact they left on the nation and on the world, one much more controversial than the other. David, let's begin with Henry Kissinger, who undoubtedly reshaped global politics, also left millions of people dead in the wake of his policies. How are you looking at his legacy? Yeah, I mean, it's important to remember he grew up as Germany was Nazifying. And I think out of that, he grew this pessimistic sense that the crust of civilization is thin and we have to do what we can to preserve order. And sometimes that worked out, the, the trip to China and then the detente with the Soviets. But as you indicated, in some cases, he was blind to human rights abuses, uh, too much Machiavelli, too much realpolitik. Uh, and so we see the downside of his career. I will say, for many years, I used to go to a breakfast, an annual breakfast that was hosted by George Shultz, who was Reagan's Secretary of State, and Henry Kissinger, who was obviously pre preceded him in that role. They both lived to be 100. And it, it could be a gloomy breakfast. They were not happy with the way America was going. But it was interesting to watch the two different kinds of intelligence. George Schultz's intelligence, he could take a complex situation and give you what you needed to know in 30 seconds. He had a great summarizing ability. Kissinger was just flat out brilliant. He would come up with ideas you hadn't thought of. He had done reading that you hadn't done. And so from everything from Machiavelli to, to Stalin to artificial intelligence, he was just insightful. And what everyone thinks of his policies it was a mind, it was a great mind. Jonathan, a very different legacy being weighed with the passing of Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. How are you looking at her life and its impact? Well, one, I mean, she was a, a, a history maker, the first woman on the Supreme Court. Um, she was a conservative, but she was a, a, a moderate when it came to reproductive rights. She was the one who you know, tapped the brakes on a lot of things that the court could have done. Um, she's from, she's a different mold of the conservatives who are on the court now. And I, I wonder if she were coming up, would she even be considered to be on the court today? And given what we've seen, I doubt it. Jonathan Capehart, David Brooks, always good to see you both. Thank, Thank you, you so honor. much. Thank you.